Hi, this is Mac of MaxList. Find Your Dream Job is presented by MaxList, an online community where you can find free resources for your job search, plus online courses and books that help you advance your career. My latest book is called Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. It's a reference guide for your career that covers all aspects of the job search, including expert advice in every chapter. You can get the first chapter for free by visiting maxlist.org anywhere. This is Find Your Dream Job, the podcast that helps you get hired, have the career you want, and make a difference in life. I'm Mac Pritchard, your host and publisher of MaxList. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Becky Thomas and Jessica Black from the MaxList team. This week, we're talking about common LinkedIn mistakes. If you're listening to this show, you already know that LinkedIn is an important part of any job search. But as happens with job interviews, the subject of last week's show, too many people keep making basic mistakes on LinkedIn. Our guest expert this week is Christy Mims. She has a list of four LinkedIn mistakes we all need to stop making now. Christy and I talk later in the show. Words matter. Research shows, for example, that the language we use in job listings can discourage applications from qualified female candidates. Becky has found an article about this problem. It also includes a software tool for making job postings more inclusive. She tells us more in a moment. We all know that culture fit matters when employers hire. How do you show a hiring manager that you offer a good fit, especially when you don't know anyone inside the organization? That's our listener question of the week. It comes from Lisa Burns in Hood River, Oregon. Jessica shares her advice shortly. As always, let's start by checking in with the MaxList team, and Becky Thomas is up first. She's out there every week, searching the nooks and crannies of the internet, looking for books, websites, and tools you can use in your job search and your career. So, Becky, what have you uncovered for our listeners this week? So this week, I want to share an article that dives into the power of language, which is one of my own personal favorite topics. Me too. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> I already love it. Okay. I know, I know you're, all of us, I think, are data nerds. We talked about that last week. Yeah. Also I word nerds. Yeah. We're all word nerds. <laughs> Language nerd for sure. Yeah. Personality nerd. Yeah. All the nerd What nerd out on? <laughs> oh, I nerd out on everything. Yeah. All right. We'll take it away. So... This is an article called How Job Listing Language Could Be Adding to Silicon Valley's Gender Divide. It was published on KQED, a community-supported media platform that's in Northern California. So they cover Silicon Valley, and the article explores the work that software company Atlassian has done to make the language in their job listings more gender-neutral. So this was one part of a big diversity inclusion effort that began for them two years ago, but it's been a big driver in getting more women to apply for leadership roles. So there's been plenty of discussion around the barriers that women face to attain and succeed in leadership roles in business. 
We talk about toxic masculinity, mansplaining, cultural stereotypes about powerful women, leadership women being perceived as bossy or shrill and all of these Mm -hmm. things. There's also been research that says more women in leadership helps diminish these problems. So the the problems that are causing women to not want to be in leadership, women in leadership actually make them go away. So it's sort of like this weird catch-22. And yay, like let's get women more women in the, in the leadership roles, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, anyway, in order to get women to apply and to get women you know, in these roles, employers need to actually convince them that women are welcome and that they're making efforts to, to you know, diminish these, these you know, male-dominated C-suites. So uh, that really starts in the job listing, and it brings us back to this language discussion. So hmm. Atlassian used Textio, a tool that we love and have mentioned before on the podcast, um, to analyze their the language, the actual text in their job listings and the descriptions, um, as well as descriptions from 25,000 other tech companies to reveal the words and phrases that generate more male or female applicants. Awesome. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I was like, ooh, cool, Like, check it out. And there's a whole chart uh, in the article that you guys should check out, but... Um, the results aren't very surprising to me. Um, honestly, aggressive language like high-performance culture, ruthless, bull by the horns, text like that would, was attracting a lot more male candidates, whereas collaborative messages like building alliances, meaningful, diverse perspectives got more women to apply. Hmm. So Atlassian used Textio to fix that overly masculine job description text, and they found more qualified women started applying. So... The article points out that filtering words and replacing them with more inclusive language isn't going to solve the problem of misogynistic work cultures. And I see like a danger in companies like Uber that have had like a bad reputation for having like a toxic culture. They will just sort of see this practice as a shortcut. But I do see it as a first step for companies who do want to acknowledge the complex problem of inclusion, and it's a signal for job seekers who are trying to see themselves in an organization that these organizations are at least taking a step towards inclusion. Um, This is also a great way for progressive companies to assess the ways that they use language internally and externally and how those words serve as barriers for women and underrepresented folks. And for job seekers, it's one way to judge a company. I also recommend checking reviews on Glassdoor and in her site, which is like Glassdoor for women. Hmm. So, um, you know, find out what it's really like to work at a company from reviews from people who have actually been inside um, and make sure they're not hiding a toxic workplace behind flowery, inclusive language. But um, I thought this was a really interesting just sort of dive into how employers can, you know, send their messages and how job seekers take them. And yeah, think about. I think that's a good step in the right direction. I yeah. think that, like you said, it's not going to solve everything, but I think it's really doing a good job of, of taking that first step. And mm-hmm. again, sort of, allowing employers and organizations to understand what kind of messages they are sending because they probably don't know that using words like bull by the horn or phrases like bull by the horns and ruthless and those types of words that they have had ingrained in their their mission statements and um, in their their culture from the beginning are um, exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not directly exclusionary, they are, you know, making people feel that they're not 
um, they don't see themselves represented. Exactly. And so I think that um, for them to even just understand what kind of messages they are sending, I think that that is a good first step of how they can change and be more inclusionary. I think that's mm-hmm. a great first step and um, hopefully it will be productive. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I I can't wait to check out this article and I, I'm glad you brought up Textio and yeah. I know if you go to the site, you'll see research that with more facts of uh, documenting the point you're making. Mm-hmm. I love, uh, I know we've talked about Glassdoor before, but in her site is a new site. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard of that platform one either. For me. Oh, yeah, Thanks for I know. bringing that up. Yeah, as I as I noted this in in my preparation for this episode, I was like, I could probably do a whole resources section on in her site because it's basically like full of resources for women who are looking for a you know female friendly workplace. Cool. So it's it's reviews, but there's other tools on there mm-hmm. as well. So maybe I'll focus on that in a future episode. I but, think there'd be a lot of interest in that, yeah. Becky. Check it out, guys, in her site. I love it. Cool. Good. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Becky. And if you've got a suggestion for, uh, we would love to hear from you. Just write Becky directly, and we uh, may share your idea on the show. Becky's address is becky at maxlist.org. Now let's turn to you, our listeners, and Jessica Black is in charge of the Maxlist mailbag and answers one of your questions this week. This week we have a question from... Lisa Burns from Hood River, and interestingly, it's also uh, kind of about workplace cultural fit, and so uh, she emailed her question. I'll read that now. It says, Lisa says, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. Thank you, Lisa. And I've heard you say many times that employers hire based on fit. What's the best way to show that you're a good fit if you don't know anyone inside the organization? Are there good ways to signal your culture fit in your resume and or cover letter? So Lisa, this is a great question. It is a great question. Yeah, because this is so crucial to be able to demonstrate your cultural or that you are a great fit for the organization and for the job but it's hard to do when you're not face-to-face with somebody. And so yeah, we get asked that a lot, don't we, at our events? We How do. do I do that? How do you do that? And it feels very daunting. And I feel, I think I'm going to um, break it down into a couple different um, sections here. And I'd love to hear your feedback afterwards as well. Um, but I think that, uh, yes, there are good ways to signal cultural fit in your application documents. By doing your research into the organization, you can um, you can understand what the cult, what the culture of the company is based on how they talk about themselves, what their mission statement. Kind of going back to Becky's resource, the language that they use, and you don't need to use um, official software. You can kind of just uh, pinpoint if they're using repetitive or if they're using the same word over and over. That's something that's really important to them, um, and kind of uh, in. Um, dissecting that and analyzing it a little bit to be able to understand what is at the root of that. But um, understanding what the cultural culture is, and then um, if you do feel like you have a good culture fit with this organization after you've done this research and analyzation, you absolutely should demonstrate that you have that alignment. And the ways that you can demonstrate that would be, number one, highlighting the aspects of your career and your volunteer history in your resume. And so, again, matching those keywords um, on your resume to kind of demonstrate that. But also just making sure that you are 
putting the things on there that maybe you didn't have on your resume that you have done. You volunteered with um, a radio station and you have a dynamic personality and you you that doesn't necessarily correlate directly to your job experience, but it does at the same time. It, it shows that you are going out of your way to um, be in a volunteer capacity and also um, if that's a component that the job description finds that will that will add to that aspect of things. So um, maybe not the best example, but you kind of get my drift. And um, and then also I would suggest showing some personality in your cover letter. So the cover letter I think is really where you can you can speak to your culture fit and obviously, well maybe not obviously. Don't necessarily say I am a good culture fit because that's not how you demonstrate your culture fit. You want to um, to show the, to show it in other ways. So use that that language. Use your creativity. Use your personality to really show um, how what you what you offer and what your what your sort of body of work in in a certain way, um, how that aligns with the organization. I also wouldn't, um, I don't think it's out of line to reach out to someone in the organization to, um, to reach out to them for an informational interview um, because that's another good way to understand the culture of that organization and then also demonstrate your own, uh, your own personality and what you bring to the table in an in-person capacity. So uh, just make sure that you're not reaching out to the hiring manager of this job um, because that I think is is um, in bad taste. But um, reaching out to someone in the organization just to get a little bit more of an understanding would be great. And ideally someone who has a job either um, identical or similar to the job that you're applying or that you're looking at um, just to really get an understanding of what the job is. But then that's an opportunity for you to ask those questions about how this culture fit that appears on the website or appears on, you know, their Twitter feed or whatever, how that matches up to the reality. Um, and um, lastly, I just want to say be authentic. So don't don't try too hard to show it. Um, and that sounds counterintuitive because obviously you want to try hard to, sh- to demonstrate this, but uh, just exacerbating what you already have and um, bringing that out into the forefront. So hopefully that's helpful. And um, I'm curious what you all have about this question as well. Um, I think that you're spot on in that last point about being authentic because if you don't actually have a culture fit with the organization, like if you try to fake it, it's not going to work. Absolutely. (laughs) And you can, people can see that from a mile away. You're right, Jessica. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I don't think, and the other thing to, to think about is like, I feel like some people think of culture fit as like, I need to be exactly like everyone else in this organization. Yes, that's a great point because yeah. that's not what culture fit is. Right. So, like, to also just like to be authentic in that, like, here are the things that I offer and here's how I can sort of like maybe not be the same as everyone else, but offer a new perspective and, you know, like, you know, show something new to yeah. your existing team. 
Um, but I think that just authenticity is is key. And then also like taking it one step further to be like, here's how I fit in. Here's how I'm going to solve your problems. And, you know, I'm friendly and I'm going to love, you know, you're going to love me. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it is hard to show, though. It you is know, really hard to show. Yeah. So. But I think that the the culture fit, at least to me, is when your values align. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, like, that's the root area of it. And then, yeah, obviously not everybody's going to have the same exact interests that all are the exact same and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Cause that would be boring and nothing would ever be yeah, like, you there wouldn't would be learn no, anything new. There'd be no innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing right. would, would grow. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point. Thank you for bringing that sure. up. And I'm glad Jessica that you brought up values because I think sometimes when people hear culture fit, they think it's hobbies, interests, right. wardrobe, it's um, not. And well, those are well, elements. Of course. Yeah. But, uh, and, and you need to pay attention to them. But in the end, it's about the organization's values. What is the the employer's mission, and does it align with what you want to do? Yeah. Uh, and and you can learn that by doing the research, and and to your point, reaching out to people inside the company or uh, looking for uh, contacts you might know through LinkedIn or alumni databases. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also you know it's values, but it's also. Work-life balance. It's also, um, you know, how people treat each other within the organization, communication styles, all of those types of things that are, um, again, not hobbies, but are a a key component to making sure that you... Um, are going to thrive and yeah. be happy in, in that space. And, and you want to be in a place where you will thrive and do your best work. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, excellent advice. Uh, thank you for that question, Lisa. And thank you for the astute answer, Jessica. If you've got a question for Jessica, uh, send her an email. Her address is easy to remember. It's jessica at maxlist.org. You can also call her on our listener line. That number is area code 716 job talk, or post a message on the MaxList Facebook page. However you reach us, if we use your question on the show, uh, we'll send you a free copy of Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. We're dropping uh, Lisa's copy in the mail this week. Uh, We'll be back in a moment, and when we return, I'll talk with this week's guest expert, Christy Mims, about common LinkedIn mistakes. I meet with thousands of job seekers each year, people who struggle to find meaningful, rewarding work that matters. I find that many of these people make the same simple mistake in their job search. It's a fatal error that makes the hunt for work longer and harder than it needs to be. What's this critical mistake? People don't have a clear job search goal. You might think it's a wise to apply everywhere, but the more you narrow down your job search, the easier everything gets and the happier you'll be in your next gig. Stop chasing every lead. Instead, put all your energy into the opportunities that you really want. Of course, setting your goals is easier said than done, especially when all you know is what you don't want to do. That's why I created a new resource that can help. It's called Finding Focus in Your Job Search. It's a free step-by-step guide that will help you figure out what you want in your career and in your next job. To get Finding Focus in your job search, visit maxlist.org slash focus. Again, go to maxlist.org slash focus. And now let's go back to the show. Now let's turn to this week's guest expert, Christy Mims. 
Christy Mims is the founder and CEO of the Revolutionary Club, the number one destination for smart people who are unwilling to settle for anything less than career happiness. Her website has been named a Forbes Top 100 for careers, and she herself has been named one of the top 29 coaches to follow on the internet. Christy joins us today from Oakland, California. Christy, thanks for being on the show. I am delighted to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And we're talking this week about a topic we return to often on uh, the podcast. That's LinkedIn. And uh, we're talking about LinkedIn mistakes. And uh, you, uh, in your work, see people make a lot of the same mistakes uh, again and again. In fact, you have a, a top forward list of common LinkedIn mistakes. And I want to walk through them, Christy. But before we do that, I know also you feel passionate about how, how the value of LinkedIn and how it can help people with their networks. Could you tell us more about that? Yes. So because I specialize in helping people find their passion, I know how hard it is when you are stuck in a job you hate to even contemplate getting out of it. And one of the fastest, most efficient ways to do that is to let other people do the work for you because I'm a big believer in you know making your life easy. And the way you do that is through your network. And so whether you are trying to figure out a new job path or you're just trying to find that next opportunity um, in your career, LinkedIn is such a valuable tool. Now, it has its issues, don't get me wrong, um, but used, used correctly and used effectively, it can fast track your job search and also open you up to a whole new world of ideas for what is possible in your career. And that's why I love it as a tool. And I want to talk about those strategic choices, but I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think many people with LinkedIn, they think it's like creating a resume. It's sort of one and done. Okay, I updated my LinkedIn profile. Now I don't have to think about that for the next three to five years uh, when I begin my next job search. Why is that a mistake, Christy? Oh, that's a, um, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Uh, <laughs> it is a mistake. It's not, LinkedIn isn't your resume. I feel like if your resume is a suit, LinkedIn is your casual sweater. Um, that you wear on casual Fridays, which means that it's something you're going to be um, pulling out a lot. Um, and what I mean by that is recruiters search LinkedIn all the time, looking for people with certain skill sets, industries change, what keywords they're looking for. Um, and so it's really important to be engaged on LinkedIn in order to show up in search results um, and to uh, really be able to connect with the right people in terms of your career. So it's something that you're going to want to update at minimum, at minimum once a year. Um, but it's probably something you're going to want to take a look at several times a year just to make sure that you are um, on track with the new skills that you've acquired, with the new learnings or certifications that you've recently got, with any awards that you've won, and just sort of checking in and seeing what's happening and what's different on the platform. Because LinkedIn is changing all the time. So you want to be connected to it. It's not a piece of paper. It's a living entity that they're constantly updating and editing. And the way to be visible is to be on it. So let's talk about... Uh uh, that how people should be on on LinkedIn because I can imagine listeners saying to themselves, "Well, you know, I, you want me to visit every day? I, an annual update that might make sense, but how often should I come? And what should I be doing? And and again, bring it back to your your broader point about networking and how people uh, need to pay attention to that." 
Well, first of all, I mean, to me, and this is not just me saying this, this is, you know, endless amounts of research is the the best and most efficient way to get a job is through your network. If you just apply, and LinkedIn has a ton of job application openings, but if you just apply, um, your chances of getting a job just from that are somewhere around below 10%. But if you network, just network, not apply, your chances of getting a job are somewhere above 70%. So if you put those two figures together, you're, you're looking pretty good. Um, and so LinkedIn is a tool to build your network. And of course, the best time to build your network is not when you are desperately searching for a job or right when you get laid off. It's before you need it. Because your network is just really about being human and having conversations and building relationships. You're not building friendships. So don't panic about that. But you are trying to just be a person who's out there being a human being, not someone who's just absolutely desperate for a job. And so you can, by getting on LinkedIn regularly, and I would define regularly, probably at minimum is once a week, and just sort of checking in on your connections and your news feed, maybe posting or sharing something, you're already starting to build that habit and you're beginning to not only build, but maintain that network. And so I'm talking about 10 or 15 minutes here. It's not a lot of time, but that alone can go a long way when you need it. So we're going to get to your list of top four LinkedIn mistakes people should avoid in a moment. But let's talk about habits, which you brought up a moment ago. What what are good LinkedIn habits that people should be practicing when they visit the site once a week for 15, 20, or even 30 minutes? Uh, that's a great question. So there's a few things off the top of my head that I would recommend doing. Um, first is just scrolling through your newsfeed and seeing if anyone's posted anything interesting or shared anything interesting. And if so, comment or like it. I am a pretty public Uh, have a pretty public profile on LinkedIn, but there are people who just comment and like regularly. And I pay attention to that. I know who they are, even though we've never met. So just simply doing that can raise your profile. Uh, Second thing is to check into some of your warm connections, people who you think might be a good reference for you or who you're very loosely connected to and just see what they're up to because your newsfeed isn't going to show you everything. So if there's a few people you want to either reach out to in the future or um, you are connected to and you want to maintain that connection, it's good to see what they've posted recently because again, a simple like or comment every now and again on their postings can keep you sort of um, in in their sphere of knowledge, if you will, so that they know who you are, even if you're not that closely connected. That's really all you need of your network is for people to know you well enough that they're willing to have a conversation with you. Um, And then the third thing that I do is I'd work on growing your network a little bit. And um, I would do a search on LinkedIn for people or for jobs or for companies, things that you're interested in and see what comes up. And periodically, if you see something interesting, reach out to that person and ask for a few minutes of their time to do an informational interview or to connect further or whatever it is, or just add them to your list of people you want to follow and check up on every few weeks. Um, just to kind of do that that regular networking hygiene. Did that make sense, Mac? It does. And a, a lot of the suggestions, they're all excellent, are about asking people for help. What are your recommendations, Christy, about how people can serve their network, especially on LinkedIn? That's a great question. So coming at it from the other perspective, there's a few things that you can do. Um, first off, just posting relevant things on the platform that you think might help your network. And that depends what relevant means, depends a little bit on what you're trying to do. But first and foremost, it would be anything related to career or business, right? Because that's what people are looking for from LinkedIn specifically. And that's what the kind of help people people want. So if you share an article, you share an update, you share some advice, whatever it might be, that's really great. That'll only take you a few seconds to post um, 
even, you know, just a couple times a week can go a long way or once a week. Second is if you want to start developing expertise and position yourself as more of a credible expert, you can write a few blogs or articles and publish them on LinkedIn. Um, they'll be endlessly searchable and anyone who is looking for that can find it. And that sort of sets you up as not only helping your network, but gives you that aura of knowing what you're talking about, <laughs> both yeah. of which are good things. Yeah. So those are two easy places to start. Those are great suggestions. Now let, let, let's turn to the things you shouldn't do. And, and you have a list of four errors you see people make. And, and we offer this in a spirit of humility. Candidly, Christy, I, I've made all these myself and uh, I'm not trying to put my co-hosts on the spot, but I suspect they've done so too. Uh, none of them are shaking their heads vigorously. No. So <laughs> I, I think, you know, this is about helping people get better. So number one on your list is sending the default LinkedIn connection invitation. Tell us more about this and why is this a big no-no, Christy? Uh, so for, yes. Okay. Let me start with why it's a no-no. It's a no-no because it's, it tells the person you're trying to connect with nothing about you. So therefore they don't know, they have no idea who you are. They don't know why you want to connect and they have to then go and look you up if they want to do their research before they open up their connection to you. So you're basically asking them to do homework on you. You're making their life harder which is why it's definitely a do not do. Because in a lot of people, there's some bad apples out there who ask to get connected to you and then they spam you. And so a lot of us have gotten really strict about who we'll connect with and who we won't. So if you, if you don't tell the person anything about yourself, why on earth should they waste a second looking you up You know, if you don't take that time? So make sure that you send a personal connection request. Um, it can be as short as a sentence or two, just saying, hey, here's how I know you. And um, here's why I want to connect with you. You know, I, I, I read a blog you posted. I loved it. I'd love to connect with you here. You know, I saw that you are doing interesting work in XYZ industry. I'd love to just connect with you here. It can be so simple, but that way you're explaining why you're reaching out. Now, just that being said, LinkedIn actually makes it really hard <laughs> to send a personalized message because they prompt you to connect all the time. And if you click that button, it's, it automatically sends that one sentence email with nothing attached to it. So it's really easy to do it by mistake. The best thing that you can do is if there's someone you really want to connect with, go to their profile and then connect with them from there. And you can usually personalize the message. And I, I will say for personal experience, um, you know, like you, I, I get a large number of LinkedIn invitations. I'm always, I would say, fewer than one out of 10 actually take the time to to write that one or two sentence invitation. And But when they do, I click through and I look at their profile because I want to know more about them. Yes. I, I mean, I usually do as well, or I just accept it if that what they've written is seems reasonable to me. So it, you really stand out in a very good way if you take the time to write two sentences. So this is an exercise that should take you less than a minute to go to their profile Take a quick look and then write your two sentences. It's not hard to do, but it will, you know, you'll just, you'll look so great and people are much more likely to connect with you. And once you've connected, then you can email them, right? And you can have, you can start to build a relationship, but you need to get that connection first, which is why it's so important to take the time to do it right. Yeah, simple advice. But I, I hear from so many people who want to build a relationship inside a company or other organization where they hope to work one day, and that's a great way to do it. Now, let's move on to number two on your list, um, a mistake you see, which is people uh, ask to connect on LinkedIn with someone else, but they do it by email or another platform. Uh, how does that hurt a job seeker or just someone managing their career? <laughs> Anytime you make my life harder, I'm annoyed with you. 
<laughs> so that's sort of the short. If you're making a hiring manager's life harder or a connection's life harder, they're not going to want to help you. And if you're reaching out to them on a different platform, asking you to connect over on a you know on LinkedIn without sending a link or making it easy, why should they take the time? You didn't take the time to connect with them on LinkedIn yourself. Why should they take the time to make the effort to connect with you? So again, anytime you're doing something like that, you know, ask yourself, why should this person do, do me this favor? How am I making their life easier? And make sure <laughs> that when you reach out, you're doing it in the easiest possible way for the person to say yes. Okay. So make it easy. Uh, number three on your list. And I wince because I have done this more often than I care to admit. It's misspelling somebody's name. Why could this potentially be a fatal error, Christy? <laughs> well, it makes you um, seem like kind of a jerk. <laughs> And like you really don't care because you haven't even taken the effort to do the most basic rule of human politeness, which is to get someone's name right. And so if you want help from someone, if you want a connection, you want something from them, you're essentially even a LinkedIn connection request, you're asking for a favor. So make sure that you do it in the most polite way possible, you know, get their name right. And I agree with you, Mac, I've done it myself. I'm more sensitive to it because my name is not a shortened name for anything. Christy is not shortened for Christine or Christina. Um, people think it is and they get that wrong all the time. Um, but on LinkedIn in particular, when you're connecting with someone, their name is usually right in front of you. Uh, so it's really hard to get it um, to get it wrong. And when you do, it means you're really not paying attention yeah, and you're a, communicating that like, I am not caring enough to even get this right. And so that tells the other person they shouldn't bother interacting with you. Yeah, it is definitely a forehead slapping moment. I, I will say when I've done it and, and caught my error uh, to try to recover, I also send a quick note saying, Oh, my apologies. I misspelled your name. And that's the perfect response because I think we all get that we're human. And if you follow up and catch your own mistake, I think you're forgiven basically 99% of the time. Yeah, I think people appreciate that. Fourth on your list uh, is spam. Now, what, what, how do you define spamming on LinkedIn, Christy? <laughs> um, well, I think it's two different ways. It's a traditional way when you send out a blast email to all of your connections. Uh, so that's one way, the way any spammer, you know, you think about spam and that you can, you can send out mass emails to your connections and that's always wrong. That is always inappropriate um, because there's no way that all of them need to know what you're up to. The best way to get a response is to be personal and tailored. Um, and the other way to spam people is to send personal messages, but you're cutting and pasting and you're basically pitching them on a product or idea that they did not ask for and is not a fit. I get people pitching me all the time for products and services that if they took half a second and looked at my website, they'd realize are not appropriate to pitch me. And it's really annoying because LinkedIn is not set up to have a, just a basic unsubscribe. It's a lot harder to disconnect with people than when you join someone's email list. There's, it's the rule of law. You have to have an unsubscribe button on every email. So it's easy to drop off. But in LinkedIn, it requires effort. Um, so don't do that. Don't make someone's life harder. Don't take advantage of the system. That's not what LinkedIn is for. Yeah. In the end, it's about relationships. And back to your original point, the value of a network and uh, helping that network grow and also serving it before you actually need to ask for help, isn't it? Yes. The best time to have to start networking is like 10 years ago, but the second best time is today. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> right? terrific. You can start today and it really doesn't take a lot of time, just a few minutes a week and you can start to build a network. Truly, it, it, it can be that simple as long as you're consistent. Okay. Well, Christy, tell us what's next for you. 
<laughs> well, the thing that I always like to tell people is, you know, I, I know so many of us hate our jobs and struggle in our careers. And it's where you're going to spend most of your life. You're going to work for 50 years these days. So it's important that you like what you do. So for anyone who's struggling with that and who does not like what they do or feels stuck or trapped or like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, you're going to be in this job until you die. I'm here to I'm here to help. And so I have a free guide for anyone who needs it, the six simple steps to finding work you love, and you can grab it right on my web right on my website, therevolutionaryclub.com. It's right there as you land on the website, you're more than welcome to help yourself. Terrific. We'll be sure to include a link in the show notes as well. And uh, in addition to the guide, I know people can learn a lot more about you and get wonderful advice by going to revolutionaryclub.com. Christy, thanks for being on the show. Ah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Take care. We're back in the Maxless studio with Becky and Jessica. That was a fun, energetic conversation with Christy. That was so great. I loved her energy. And, you know, we're uh, we're big LinkedIn, I don't know, nerds, should we say? Or uh, just more nerdery. Yeah, Yeah, more nerdery. All the nerdery for sure. Quizzes, LinkedIn. Just add it to the list of what we nerd out about. But Uh, yeah, so it was such a fun interview. Yeah, it was. To hear all of her comments. Yeah. Yeah. Can I make a um, confession Please. to you guys? Please. As you and as Mac and Christy were talking, I went to LinkedIn and I um, sent a connection request yes. to Christy without a personal message. Oh, no. Uh-oh. And her first mistake was that. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christy, I'm sorry. Um, but... These things happen, I, can, I guess, is the example. Can you, um, in your messages, you can went, go in. I tried, you but tried it was, like, it, it was only in-mail, and I'm not a premium member. Oh, right. <sighs> I'm so well, embarrassed. She will forgive you because she's... I don't know if she will. <laughs> she was being, you know, she was being pretty clear about, like, I might not forgive you. That is very so, true. You know, it's oh, okay. Gosh. We all make mistakes, and it's, I think it's about, like, you know, don't beat yourself up if you make one because it is easy to make them. But yeah, we're human. And it's I, good to keep in mind some of the... Some of the tips that she shared. Absolutely. I really liked the the point about, you know, you need to invest in your network before you need them. Absolutely. I think I that's, think that's so crucial. Yeah. And update your LinkedIn constantly and consistently, mm-hmm. not just when you're transitioning jobs. Right. Uh, don't forget about it. It's a living document. You mm-hmm. get to use it all the time. Bare, like she was saying, bare minimum once a week. But I mean, I, I go to LinkedIn at least every other day, if mm-hmm. not every day. Yeah. And um, so it, yeah, I don't always spend that much I'm glad you do that. Time. I don't want to panic our listeners. No, no, I, no. It's not <laughs> a requirement. We're kind of That's in the just, business, the three of us. Right. Yeah. Again, and I, again, I'm, an, I'm a LinkedIn nerd. So right. I go, and I don't spend that much time. I go and I spend five minutes. I check, like she was saying, I check the post, the kind of the feed, mm-hmm. see what my network is up to. Um, I get to see who's had a work anniversary, kind of what's new mm-hmm. with people answer, check all my, you know, incoming requests and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, and then I'm, I go back to my business and it's no big deal, but yeah, but it doesn't I, have I do. to be a huge undertaking. No, but yeah, when you, you know, get a promotion or you, um, take on a new responsibility at work, you should be adding that to your LinkedIn immediately. Don't wait until, I mean, you should add that to your resume immediately as well so that it's constantly updated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that way people can see what you're doing and, and it just shows what you're, what you're offering and what you're taking on and, um, all the cool things you're doing. So, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. And I loved her suggestion that you, you just go once a week right. because sometimes when people are new to LinkedIn or they're unfamiliar with it, it can feel overwhelming of course. and they just can't get started. And the idea and I think she's right about this, that if you just invest 15 to 20 minutes a week and you, to your point, Jessica, update your your profile a few times a year, depending mm-hmm. on new responsibilities right. or awards, you will be so far ahead of everybody else. But most importantly, you'll be solving that bigger question that she brought up, which is using LinkedIn strategically to both to grow and to serve your network. That's right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, I also liked one more thing. I really liked um, her. She said at one point that we're all just humans trying to be humans on yeah. this thing. And so um, I think that that's a really key component too, is that you don't, ha- it's not a way that you're being perfect or, or anything like that. Like you're just trying to make connections in an online platform and you don't mm-hmm. have to be best friends with the person, but you, you know, it, there's a space that you can, sort of network without having to do it in person. And obviously it goes hand in hand with the in-person networking, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's building those connections through your online network and, and keeping it relevant. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you, Christy, for joining us this week. And thank you, our listeners, for downloading today's episode of Find Your Dream Job. If you're still working through that first step of your job search, and it's an important one, figuring out what you want to do, I really think you'd benefit from our new goal-setting resource, Finding Focus in Your Job Search. So don't delay. Go to our website and visit maxlist.org slash focus. You can download your own copy right now. Again, download that free step-by-step guide by visiting maxlist.org slash focus. And join us next week when our guest will be Donna Serdula. She'll explain how to let recruiters on LinkedIn know you're open. Uh, you, uh, so our LinkedIn theme continues. Theme, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and until next time, thanks for letting us help you find your dream job. <laughs> <laughs>